Well, good morning, everyone, again. And I'm a little weary. I had some shoveling to do. I don't know if you guys had some of that, so. Um, during my time, I've had many chances to go on mission trips. I've spent time in Africa. I've spent time in Afghanistan. Um, I was an outreach director for a while at a church. I was a church planner and pastor aboard the La Jolla Indian Reservation. And I don't tell you these things to bolster myself or to somehow um, to give credibility to, to me coming up here. It's more in the sense of I was, I was believing something. I was really believing a lie. And the lie went something like this. If I was not actively involved with going overseas or on the Indian Reservation or in an outreach, then I was unuseful to God. But the truth is, as Christians, we are called to live a life on mission until we stand in the presence of Christ. And there's a spectrum of missions that we're called to be involved in. And we're called to live this missionary life of action, each and every one of us. Today's message is, let us then go. So if you're not there already, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 13 and also put a finger in Revelation 7. And what I want to do today is I want to look at three aspects of missions that will help us define what life on mission looks like for each and every one of us. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we come to you this morning and we just, we thank you. We thank you for another day of life. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for allowing us to meet here and praise and proclaim your name. I pray that your spirit would fill us. I pray that you would illuminate your scripture and teach us the things that we do not know. For it's totally on you that we rely on our understanding of things. So bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we see is missions is imitation. Missions is imitation. Verse 11 of Hebrews 13. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Now, the context of this verse is the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant sacrifices, the sacrifices we see in the Old Testament, the priest would bring in the animal, and the animal would be slaughtered on the altar, and the blood would, um, would be poured out as a sin offering. But the carcasses were carried outside of the gate, outside of the camp, and burned outside of the camp. And anything outside of the city gate, outside of the camp, was considered unclean. For if they were to burn the carcasses within the camp, it would have been considered ceremonially unclean. So everything outside was considered unclean. Yet the writer of Hebrews is saying, "Look at this. This was an insufficient sacrifice, and it was pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus." And not only pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus goes outside of the, the ceremonially ceremony, uh, clean area to the unclean area and spills his blood in the unclean area to make things clean. And we see that Jesus, through his blood, we are clean. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And we're compelled to follow him and make him known. And see, in verse 13, we were given a command. It says, let us then go. Let us then depart. Let us then move out to him outside the camp. And this is a command to separate ourselves from the services of Christ. 
It's, it's an exhortation to leave the safety and security of our insulated camps for Christ. And in the context, this is, this is huge. Because you have all these Jewish Christians. They're used to being inside their protected cities that were ceremonially clean. And, and now they're Christians. And, and here's this command that says, you go outside. Go outside to those unclean areas. Jesus did, and he purified those unclean areas. And he is the ultimate sacrifice. And this exhortation, this command, it is written in a way that necessitates a response. And it's a response that is performance-driven, not philosophically driven. And what do I mean by that is oftentimes we go and we say, you know, there's, there's all these problems. We should do something about it. You know, there's this problem, there's that problem. We really should do something about it. And we, we, we do this thing that, that I like to call, we appreciate the problem. But we're not called to that. This particular command is a call to do something. It's a call to imitate Christ on mission. It's a call to action. So what does it look like for us to go outside the camp? Well, it could look like a lot of things. It could be geographical. It could mean going to Africa, Mexico, going to Lawrence. It could mean going to the cubicle next door. It could mean going across the couch. It could be socioeconomical. It could mean... Um, you cross a, a boundary where someone within your, uh, not in your socioeconomic sphere, you go and you reach out to them. It could be educational. The point is, it could be long-term, it could be short-term, it could be outreach, it could be service. It could be everyday missions on our front lines, wherever God has placed you. The point is, is going outside the camp is confronting our cultural moment, our contemporary moment, and crossing these cultural boundaries, whatever those cultural boundaries are, for the purposes of the gospel. It's, it's engaging the different other, people that are, are not like us. And that's very difficult for us. This is a call to get outside of our insulated camps. And let's just, let's just get real here. Let's strip it away. We do have insulated camps. We've created this this, these insulated camps, these things that make us feel good, these, these, these systems, these people. And we're being called to go outside of those camps for the purposes of the gospel, to make Christ known. And we do this in humility and boldness, undergirded with the truth of Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus addressed his cultural moment by coming and being crucified on a cross outside the camp, buried for our sins, being sacrificed for us. Paul picks that up by crossing these cross-cultural boundaries for the gospel to be known to the Gentiles. And even the founders of our church, it means something huge for us because the founders of our church stood in the midst of the tyranny of slavery to make Christ known in this area. And now that has been handed off to us. Every single generation gets an opportunity to address their cultural moment for the purposes of Jesus Christ and for the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel anew where we've been placed in our, in our time and in, in, in our moments. And that's what we're called to do. So what can we experience when we go outside to Jesus outside of the camp? What are, what are the things that we're going to feel? Because that's really, we start talking about experiential things, like what's going to happen to us? Well, the first thing that's going to happen to us is persecution. We see bearing the disgrace he bore, enduring unpleasant and difficulties for Christ. You see, we're in a battle. We're in a war. 
There's a spiritual battle. And any time we advance that for the purposes of the gospel, the enemy's going to respond. And that's persecution. That's discomfort for the purposes of Christ. Christ bore his cross, and we're called to bear our cross following him outside the camp. And some of you are like, whoa, you just brought it real low, Brian. Thanks. This is when things start to get real. Because we're questioning our earthly safety and security. And the idea of following Christ, this Hollywood version of Christianity, is stripped away. This idea that following Christ will cost you nothing. Because in Scripture we read, it's going to cost you everything. And it gets real. So what's wrong with wanting safety and security? Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting safety and security. It's not a matter of safety and security. It's a matter of who we place our safety and security in. The desire is good, but it's who or what we place it in. And we are heirs of an everlasting kingdom of the King of Kings, and we're called to put our safety and security in Jesus Christ and in the purposes of building his kingdom, not our, our kingdom. We read in verse 14, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Our hope and our assurance is in Christ and his kingdom. And this gives us boldness to endure anything outside of the camp. I, I, I've, taken some, I've taken some heat on this over the, over the past few years. My wife Erica just got back from Mexico last night, so um, I'm super happy. Um, she was in um, Mexico for five weeks on a mission trip in the Sinaloa area where, and she's going to talk about this next week, so I'm not going to go in all the details, but they go to these, these tomato and pepper camps in these really rustic areas, heavy drug cartel areas, and they, they preach the gospel to these migrant farm workers. And when she first started doing this, I would have um, people that loved us well and well-meaning people come up to me and go, how can you let her do that? And I would say... Yeah, how can I let her do that? They say, it's dangerous down there. I'm like, I know it's dangerous down there. And then I started praying and I started thinking about this. And the thing, and the thing that I learned, the thing that God made it very clear is, listen, Brian, I have gifted your wife in a certain way to do things you can't do. <laughs> Don't stand in her way for her to go and fulfill what I want her to fulfill as it pertains to the gospel. And that's a call to all of us. Don't you get in somebody's way when they want to go and advance the kingdom of God for the purposes of making Christ famous. Don't stand between them and God. It's not a good position to be in. We're called to just pray with them, help them discern that call. We're called to come alongside them in that call. But we're not called to stop them. If God has called somebody in your life to go and risk it all for Christ, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You come alongside them in that. So we can expect persecution. We can expect to risk it all. Secondly, what we can expect outside the camp is transformation. When Christ enters in a dark area, transformation happens. We have a transformational Savior. 
It's not a matter of debate. When Christ enters in the situation, someone's life, transformation happens. Because light always overtakes darkness. That's just, that's, a, that's the bottom line. I want to share with you something that Erica wrote um, a couple weeks ago. She was journaling, um, and she put it on Facebook, so some of you might have read this already. I took just an excerpt of this um, from her time in Mexico. It says, week, week three, day two. This was a couple of Tuesdays ago. Campo Santa Fe. The title's Transformation. Somehow each year when I visit Culiacan, regardless of the team that I'm on, I end up in Campo Santa Fe. The first year I visited, what stood out most was a man named Santos. I did not meet him personally in 2016, but rather saw him walking through the camp wearing makeup and dressed in women's clothing. He looked frightened and nervous as he walked quickly by a, a long row of rooms where I was working with my partner. I made eye contact with him briefly, and then, then he was gone. Overall, there was this dark and oppressive presence in the, in the camp that I couldn't quite describe. The next year, in 2017, I had the opportunity to meet Santos personally when our diagnostics team knocked on his door to invite him to a movie. My friend shared the gospel with him, and it broke my heart when he asked if God would love and accept, as he said, a person like him. We told him that all we need to do is to come to the Lord with a repentant heart, and that it is God who changes the things in our lives that need change, whether that thing is the challenges Santos faced or any number of things that, we have, that have a hold in our lives. At this, Santos gave his life to Christ. This was a huge encouragement, as many other living in the camp told us of an evil spirit that had power over the camp. The dark presence hadn't been a figment of my imagination, as many people in the camp had a name for it. One man even said that he desired to surrender his life to follow Jesus, but wasn't able out of fear of being harmed by this spirit. I left last year feeling grateful to have witnessed the transformation of Santos' life, but praying all year for Campo Santa Fe to be released from whatever dark and oppressive force that was present. Last night, I arrived at Campo Santa Fe feeling hopeful. I went down the long, shadowy paths between the gallerias, wondering who or what we might encounter. No one person stands out among the multitude of people living there, but rather how much different the camp felt spiritually. There were less than a few desirable things going on in the camp. That oppressive, heavy presence was gone. Where there once was a profound darkness, I saw glimmers of light and hope breaking through. As I continued to serve in Culiacan each year, I continued to be amazed and humbled by the things God allows me to witness. When Christ enters, transformation happens because light is present. So I have to ask you, what does it mean for you to go outside the camp? What does it mean for you to go outside the camp? Because if you are a child of God, if you put your faith in Christ, you're called to go outside the camp. And he's placed an opportunity for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing, missions is proclamation. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the lips the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We are called to proclaim the good news of Christ and mission through continual or uninterrupted acts of worship. And this implies a lifestyle of being on missions. And here we're given two specific ways in which we proclaim Christ. The first way is the fruit of lips that openly professes his name. 
This is open, public, overt proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a a bold, unapologetic presentation that makes it clear that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. This is the gospel, the gospel message that says, there's something wrong here. I I feel the separation. There's something wrong. And the Bible names it. He says, it calls it sin. There's, there's this separation. We've been separated from a, a holy and just God. And we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment because all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God doesn't leave us in that predicament. He sends his only son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son, to step down, to live a perfect and righteous life, to get nailed to a cross for our sins. He feels the the wrath of the Father for us. And if that was it, it would be be horrible. It would be game over. But that's not it. Because three days later, he's resurrected. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we too are resurrected to new life. We are a new creation. And that's not just the end of it. Because God's kingdom is advancing. He has a plan. And we have a a hand in that. We've been called to participate on this campaign, this mission for renewal. That's the gospel. And we're called to proclaim that unapologetically, boldly, for the purposes of Christ, risking it all. Now, some of you are starting to squirm, I see. You're kind of moving around. Like, oh, here we go. How do we deliver that? What does that look like? Because here's the thing. And I'm I'm just going to apologize up front already. I don't like salespeople. If you come to 11 Nottingham, it's going to be a bad day. I just, I, I don't know what it is. It's just, I don't like that. And I was taught that you preach the gospel by... Slapping down, you know, the giving a track and kind of doing like a hard sell kind of thing. And that might be the context you're in, and that works, and that's fine. But most of us aren't in that context. It's more relational. And when you have a relationship with somebody, they actually invite you to speak truth into their lives. And they say, what, why are you so different? And you say, it's because of Jesus. If you're on the mission field, it might be look something different. I mean, when Erica was on, it was more direct because they were there, and, and that was the culture. It was easier to do that. For our culture, it might be something different. When you go to Africa, it was... What I'm saying is, is there's no one way, but we can't get around not proclaiming the gospel. Number two, we're called, and don't forget to do good and share with others. We are called to do good deeds and share with others. The word here, share, it's the word koinonia. Maybe we've heard of this word before. It means fellowship. It's the act of sharing activities and privileges with the different other, with that person outside of our camp. Missions isn't just throwing money at something and walking away. Saying, oh, I did my part. I threw money at it. Missions is relational. It's relational. It's, it's heart on heart. It's getting to know people. It's getting to either know the missionaries or the people that God has called you to serve. It's, it's 100% relational. And here's the thing. It's not just relational. It's intimate. It's partnership. It's uncomfortable. 
Let's just throw this out on the table. Missions and, and going outside of the camp is uncomfortable because you're engaging someone who is not like you. And let's face it, we think we're pretty darn good. In 2013, I had the opportunity to go to um, Africa, to a little town called Bengoma. It's in Kenya. And I was teaching uh, pastoral leadership. And there was 80 African pastors from all of East, Eastern Africa. And my translator was uh, Pastor Jackson. Um, he was from the Maasai tribe. He was six foot seven. People from the Maasai tribe are very tall. And we would interact with one another. And we asked each other questions that were culturally inappropriate in our culture. And it was really messy at times. And after day number three, we started to really kind of click. It was really nice. It was, it was good. And we were on a break, and um, we were just teaching in this little med, metal shed thing, and we were in this town. And um, he goes, Brian? I said, yes, Jackson. He says, I really like you. I said, I really like you too. He goes, oh, the break's over. We got to go back inside. I said, okay. Then he reaches over and he grabs my hand. And he wants to hold hands with me. And everything in my body was screaming. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, what's going on here? What's going on here? And, you know, in our culture, you don't do that. But in his culture, that's a deep sign of affection. And I just went with it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. But it was uncomfortable. We all have, you will have one of those hand-holding moments if you go outside of the camp. Everything in your body is going to be screaming. You're going to say, I don't know, this is weird. It's going to happen. Get used to being uncomfortable. Because guess what? God transforms you through that. He transforms you through that. Now, proclamation merges in three practical things that we've been all called to do as a life on mission. The first thing is pray. We're all called to pray. We're called to pray for people that God would want us to reach outside of our camp. We're also called to pray for our missionaries. Each one of you have one of these things when you walked in. These are our global partners. I want to encourage you, spend some time in your family devotions, your personal devotions, and pray for our global partners. They need your prayers. So we're called to pray. Secondly, we're called to send. We're called to mobilize people. We're called to mobilize people for the purposes of the gospel. If someone's interested in going, encourage them in going. Send them, mobilize them, pray for them, equip them. Lastly, we're all called to go. You can't get around this. We're called to go, all of us. So that's the second thing. Lastly, missions is exaltation. Go ahead and turn to Revelation 7. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the Lord and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We must remember the goal of missions. The goal of missions is not saving people. The goal of missions is worship. The goal of missions is worship. This is a, a glimpse of the throne room of God at the end of time. As one author writes, missions exist because worship doesn't. This is the whole point of missions. And sometimes that goal gains ground when God sovereignly works through our efforts to save people. But sometimes... That doesn't happen. So does that mean it doesn't count? No. Every time we're obedient to God going outside the camp, going outside the gates, and live a life on mission, the goal advances because we are worshiping him in truth and spirits. spirit. Our, our, our missional efforts never return void. God does not have this um, wasted effort in his economy. It doesn't exist. God wastes nothing in his missional efforts. This is the end of time. Worship. Worshiping God, the goal. And some of you are sitting here and you're going, well, that seems kind of boring to me. We're just going to worship Jesus? Yes, and you don't know Jesus. It's going to be wonderful. Standing before the throne in unison, all these different people, this kaleidoscope of people, worshiping God. I want to bring this back down to us. A life on mission, missions connects us to God's global mission. Think about this. Here we sit North Andover. This is a small town. It's not a big town by any measure of the means. Yet when we are faithful to God's plan of mission, wherever that is for us personally, we are connected with his global plan to bring worshipers of Jesus Christ to the end of time. We're connected to his bigger plan. It's, you can say amen on that if you want to, because that is unbelievable. We're, we're, we're part of this big plan to bring worshipers to God. Are you kidding me? Us? That is unbelievable to me. One day, we will stand around the throne of God with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. We'll be clothed in our robes of victory, praising and worshiping our king. And in those days, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain, and there'll be no more mission. But until that day, we've been called to live a life on mission. We've been called to go outside of the camp. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for using people like us. Really? Thank you for using people like us to usher in your worshipers. We thank you for that. I pray that you would give us the boldness, the strength to just go outside our camp. I pray that we would just break down any walls that we might have. Just break them down and search our heart, oh God, because we want to serve you. We want you to be famous. We want your word to go out. And we look forward to the day that we all stand around your throne, looking around at those people that you called us to, worshiping with them, coming alongside them, and just praising you together. 
in our robes of victory and join you. We thank you for that. Give us the boldness to do this. May you break down any excuses that we would have. May we not stand in anyone's way who you've called. So we love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.